0: Chappelle headed for the airport, ready for the 6am flight. One of her friends had padlocked her bag shut. She was a newbie to travelling and Chappelle actually found it quite funny. You don't need to lock your bag, you're only going to Bali. As she made her way through the airport, Chappelle noticed signs that littered the corridors of the walkways. Each one slightly different, but all basically saying the same thing. Death penalty to drug smugglers. This is Red Rum. Stories about the true victims of crime. Friday the 8th of October 2004 wasn't a Friday like any other for Chappelle Corby. She was headed out of Australia, where she lived, and was going to holiday in Bali with her brother James and two friends. Her life in Australia was nice. She had a good group of friends, she was close to her family but she'd been looking after her dad, who'd been unwell for a while, and she was looking forward to having a break herself. The holiday had been planned to also tie in with Chappelle meeting up with her sister Mercedes and her two children. Mercedes was turning 30 and wanted her siblings out in Bali to celebrate with her. And Mercedes' husband was from Bali, so although they lived in Australia, they'd been over in Bali for a few months visiting this side of the family and the life he'd grown up living. Mercedes' 30th birthday was going to be a big one, so along with her brother James and their two friends, she joined a total of 16 people heading out to celebrate the big day, and she had planned to stay for two weeks. Chappelle headed off for the airport, ready for the 6am flight. One of her friends had padlocked her bag shut. She was a newbie to travelling, and Chappelle actually found it quite funny. Quote, you don't need to lock your bag, you're only going to Bali. Chappelle hadn't put padlocks on her suitcase, and so she, her two friends and her brother, checked in their bags. Chappelle had all of her bags and her two friends' bags checked in under her name because she'd booked the flights, and then the four of them made their way through security and onto the plane. The flight itself was pretty uneventful, with Chappelle and one of her friends having a few beers on the six-hour flight that landed safely at Gura Rai Airport, where they then headed straight for baggage. As she made her way through the airport, Chappelle noticed signs that littered the corridors of the walkways, each one slightly different, but all basically saying the same thing. Death penalty to drug smugglers. Chappelle walked over to collect her bags, including her bodyboard, and noticed that the bodyboard bag's handle had been cut. She thought it was annoying, but didn't pay it too much attention, as there was a shoulder strap on the other side and she could use that to carry it. When they reached security that end, Chappelle's brother James went first. His bag was opened, visually checked, and then closed again and he was allowed through. Chappelle's bodyboard bag was next. She placed it on the counter and noticed that the double zip was done up in the middle. She always did them up to the left side, just out of habit, but this time they were in the middle. She didn't remember doing that. Either way, she didn't worry. In fact, she didn't think much of it at all. Instead, she opened it up. The security officer hadn't asked her to, but she'd seen her brother be asked to open his bag just moments earlier so again, out of habit, opened her bag for the officer. As she did so, she looked down and saw a largish sized, see-through bag. On instinct, she slammed the bag shut again but could smell it straight away. It was marijuana. A uniformed officer walked over to the scene and opened the bag up again. Then he told Chappelle that she should wait here and told James to carry the bag to the office. The odd thing was that even though Chappelle had told the security officers that the bag was hers and nothing to do with her brother, they wouldn't let her take the bag. They made him take it. They also then just left her there, standing by security. She was free to go if she wanted. After a few minutes, she turned back around, away from the exit, and walked over to the office James had gone into just moments earlier. When she got there... She found James sitting at a table with the bodyboard bag open, sat on the table in front of him. On top of the bodyboard bag was the clear bag full of marijuana. The next hour or so were a blur, with people coming in and out of the office, many touching the bag, taking samples out, smelling it, and officers speaking to each other and laughing at both Chappelle and James'. Obviously, Chappelle and James denied it belonged to them and one of the men in the room left and returned a little while later with some liquids to test the substance. He took the sample from the bag and then mixed it with a small amount of liquid that ultimately turned purple, proving it was a narcotic. What was odd was that none of the other bags that had been checked under Chappelle's name were ever searched, not hers or her two friends' bags. James and Chappelle were transported to the nearby customs office outside of the airport where they were met by their sister, Mercedes. Eventually, Mercedes managed to convince the officers to let 16-year-old James go. He was young and the bag had been claimed as Chappelle's. They really couldn't keep him. Over the next day or two, Chappelle was held, strip searched and then a number of men came into the office and presented her with a document and told her to sign it. The papers were written in Indonesian, so a man came in to translate it for her. Thankfully, Mercedes also spoke Indonesian, so managed to start translating it too. The man who'd come to translate it for her wasn't being truthful about what the paper said, and so Mercedes took the paper and spoke it out. It was essentially a confession. Chappelle refused to sign and said she needed a lawyer. But the men were persistent, stating that she could have a lawyer tomorrow, but for now, she needed to sign it. Things would be harder for her if she didn't just sign it. Even so, Chappelle refused. By the Saturday morning, Chappelle had a lawyer who told her that if she couldn't prove she hadn't done this, then she might get the death penalty. Throughout the first few days, Chappelle was convinced that this big mistake would be shown to be just that and everything would be cleared up. Surely they'd have some way of proving that this wasn't on her. She thought of the numerous ways they could prove her innocence, perhaps baggage x-rays, or they'd at least have the recorded weight from the check-in and could prove that someone had tampered with her bag before she touched down. What she didn't realise was that none of that could help her. The airport security was actually run by a number of different agencies and Chappelle's lawyers struggled to get any answers or useful information. They didn't have the baggage x-rays, or they only scanned for explosives specifically, or the weight of the baggage was only done in total baggage weight, so it would include her friend's luggage, both of which had been taken out of the airport when her friends had left to get her sister. Chappelle's mum travelled to Brisbane Airport four times over the first few days and weeks to get the CCTV footage, but the responses she got were mixed. One person confirmed that the CCTV from the airport hadn't been recording that day. Another said it had been recording, but had since been wiped. Chappelle was transported to the local holding jail where she was taken down to her cell. The walls were covered from top to bottom in graffiti. Some of it was in pen, some of it was made out of human feces. Four days after Chappelle's initial arrest, she was taken to an interrogation room and questioned for the first time. Part of the interrogation meant that Chappelle had to remember and outline everything that had happened and got her to the point when her bag had been searched. The statement was written down and taken away to be typed up. Once it was typed up, the statement was brought back to Chappelle so that she could sign it. Just a few seconds before she was about to sign it, Chappelle's lawyer noticed one of the lines, said, Yes, the board cover, bodyboard, fins and plastic bag do all belong to me. The plastic bag was not in her original statement and it wasn't hers. She knew it wasn't a typing error. It was done with full intent. After that, Chappelle did an interview with 60 minutes from the place she was being held. The guards would never have let her, they hated the media, so her lawyer had to sneak the interviewer and camera person in. The tiny handheld camera was brought in and out of a bag every few minutes as everyone was on high alert And the one police officer who'd been tasked with watching Chappelle had been taken into the next room by her lawyer to attempt to give some kind of privacy. It came out that in her lifetime Chappelle had visited Bali a total of five times. The first had been when her sister Mercedes called her one afternoon and said that she'd nearly finished up her work visa in Japan and was thinking about taking a holiday to Bali. She invited both Chappelle and her brother who both said yes That first trip was fine, everything had gone as planned and Bali was beautiful. Although Chappelle didn't find it hugely impressive, saying that having gone to the more touristy areas, there was a lot of poverty and there were often homeless children and lots of dogs roaming the streets. While she was there, Chappelle took her bodyboard and tried out surfing on the beautiful waters. It was something she liked to do often and had gotten quite serious about it. After that, Chappelle flew home and it wasn't long before she hopped back on a flight, this time to Japan to join her sister there for a couple of months. After that, Chappelle returned to Australia and met a Japanese man called Kimi, who later became her boyfriend. Soon after that, the pair moved to Japan and a few years later decided to get married. The marriage didn't last, however, and Chappelle called her mum to tell her what was happening. The pair agreed that they should do something nice to take Chappelle's mind off of the stress of the divorce and relocating back to Australia, and so decided to meet in Bali for a two-week holiday. It was unbelievable to her that somewhere she'd once found such joy was now a hellhole. Chappelle's lawyers continued to try and get some answers about how the bodyboard bag had been tampered with, but they kept meeting roadblocks Eventually, her lawyers received a visit from an international security manager at the airline in Brisbane over to Bali. But the information the manager brought was not useful. He told the lawyers that there was no way any unauthorised people could have had access to Chappelle's bags, although later on they found out that these same authorised workers who had handled her bags weren't necessarily trustworthy. One major issue with the case was that if the Bali authorities were accusing Chappelle of what was true, then she would have had to get her bag through to Australian airport security systems without being detected. It came to light that Brisbane Domestic Airport didn't have an x ray machine and so didn't x ray any luggage coming through their airport. 36 days after her arrest, Chappelle was moved to a maximum security prison. There, she found herself sharing with four other inmates, with nowhere to sit down, so her days were spent on thin camping mattresses strewn about over the floor. The women's quarters in comparison to the male quarters varied wildly. Men could basically pay for whatever they wanted, be it a new mattress, a TV for their cells, anything to keep them entertained, like art supplies or sports equipment. And they could pretty much come and go as they wanted from their cells. Women couldn't do that. Chappelle was cramped in one cell for up to 15 hours a day with the clinical lights constantly on. They wouldn't even turn them off at night. The small cells were very close contact. Women would sleep side by side, partially on top of one another, meaning that there'd constantly be some kind of illness or sick bug going round. And it was not helped by the rats that often came into the cells. Chappelle regularly got sick. She threw up constantly and would often have skin rashes, conjunctivitis and ear infections. There was no power or running water, so showering meant using a ladle of dirty water and pouring over yourself. Chappelle experienced constant threats from other inmates, especially the violent ones. Murderers, terrorists, paedophiles and even the guards were violent to the prisoners. Whilst in the maximum security prison, Chappelle met other inmates whose crimes varied from petty theft. One woman stole the equivalent of 30 cents to buy some rice so she wouldn't starve to death. Trigger warning for graphic image descriptions here, especially of children. If you're not up for that, you can skip forward 45 seconds. One woman had discovered her husband was having an affair with their maid and had been for three years. One day, she took the maid to the markets to buy some carving knives and on their way back, the woman pulled over to a secluded beach and stabbed the maid again and again until she died. Another time, she found out that one man, a dentist, and his assistant had done around 2,000 illegal abortions. The man had aborted babies who were eight months old. He'd go in with scissors and cut the baby out piece by piece. He got two years for those crimes and his assistant got eight months. In prison, Chappelle had to try and do anything she could to make her day-to-day life more bearable. She'd toiletries with the other women in there, especially the poorer women who didn't have family visiting who could buy them things. Chappelle's sister sister Mercedes would often bring in extra deodorants, washing powder and soaps. The daily routine for Chappelle consisted of attempting to eat well, doing exercise twice a day, wearing makeup and even plucking her eyebrows. Daily, at 4.30pm, the cell doors would be locked and then the guards would go home with the key. This meant that if there was any kind of an emergency, like a fire, there'd be no escape for the prisoners until 7.30am when the guard with the keys returned and unlocked the cell doors. Meanwhile, Chappelle's case wasn't really progressing. Her lawyers were struggling to find any evidence to show her innocence. It's difficult to prove something she didn't do, and on top of that, the Bali police had refused to fingerprint the inner back. Chappelle's first court date finally arrived. The trial was conducted over months, having just 30 minutes a week in court. Once in the courtroom, there were people all around, many talking loudly to one another or speaking on the phone or taking pictures. Chappelle's translator didn't turn up on that first day, so her lawyer's assistant suggested his secretary could help as she spoke English. The chief prosecutor told the court that Chappelle had acted suspiciously when walking over to pick up her bag and then refused to open it. He also said she'd claimed the marijuana did belong to her. All details that Chappelle fiercely denied, adding that if they had any CCTV from the incident, they would be able to see that. Every time Chappelle came to court, she noticed that the evidence presented was less and less. The prosecutor opened up the bodyboard bag to show the plastic bag inside, but he had to dig around to find it and much of the marijuana had disappeared. The defence relied mainly on witness testimony, including a seemingly out-of-nowhere piece of gold. A man in Australia had come forward to say that whilst he was in prison in Melbourne, he'd overheard a conversation between inmates who used to work as baggage handlers. The conversation had outlined how three of the men had put the marijuana in Chappelle's bag. That same man testified and then went home. But, once he returned home, his daughter was threatened and he was actually beaten up, pretty badly. To the point they weren't sure if he was even going to survive or not. At trial, a baggage handler from Brisbane Airport testified that security was incredibly slack. He confirmed that there was no baggage x-ray machine for checked-in bags. He also said that on numerous occasions, airport staff members had failed drug tests and others had been caught going through passengers' bags. Chappelle ended the day by saying to the court, quote, I love my family. I wanted a holiday. I don't like drugs and I know there are big penalties in Indonesia and all over the world if you have drugs. I would never, never jeopardise my life in this situation and my family's health and everyone that loves me to do something like this. I love Bali. I love Indonesia. I respect this country. I don't know how this has happened to me. Whilst waiting for her court decision as to whether or not she was guilty, the Indonesian consular in Perth had received an anonymous letter. It stated that if Chappelle wasn't set free, then an Indonesian man who worked at the embassy would be killed. On her two penultimate trips to court... Chappelle fell ill. She said it was partly from the stress, partly from the heat, and from the media circus that meant oftentimes she and whoever she was handcuffed to would be cut and bruised and shoved towards the ground. On that final day of court, the prosecutors read through all the points of the case for two and a half hours, with Chappelle's lawyer partially translating it. She learned that the prosecution weren't holding any of the witness testimony as credible and that's pretty much all Chappelle's defence was based on. This meant that the death penalty was definitely on the table. If the death penalty is requested in Bali, then the judge's choice after that is really only either life imprisonment or death by firing squad. Then, Chappelle heard the prosecutor use the word hide in relation to recommendation of what her sentence should be. Hide in Indonesian was a word that she knew meant life. Life in Indonesia meant the age when you were arrested, so for Chappelle, that meant 27 years. After the end of the lawyer's statements, Chappelle was allowed to read her own. Quote, I believe that the evidence shows that, 1. There is a problem in Australia with security at airports and baggage handling procedures. 2. My only mistake was not putting a lock on my luggage. 3. I have never at any stage claimed ownership of the plastic bag and its contents. 4. Had the police weighed all my luggage with the total weight, it would have shown a difference from the total weight checked in at Brisbane Airport. 5. The police had the opportunity to fingerprint both bags that proved my innocence, but they chose not to. 6. I am innocent of a tactless drug smuggling network. 7. I am not a person involved in drugs and I am not a person who might be involved in a drug smuggling operation. 8. I love Bali and would never want to create problems for any of its people. Shockingly, the two Australian airports and the Australian Federal Police discovered that on the same day that Chappelle was travelling out of Australia, in fact within just minutes of Chappelle's flight, a number of airport staff had been involved in evading security to move a huge amount of Class A drugs through Sydney Airport. The Australian wrote that an operation had been targeting two groups of baggage handlers on the matter. Quote, The report says baggage handlers had diverted bags containing large amounts of narcotics from incoming international flights to domestic baggage carousels, sometimes changing baggage tags to avoid customs examination. Baggage handlers are suspected of large-scale pillage and may use the roof area to gain illegal entry to passenger baggage, the report says. The roster system makes it easy for baggage handlers to get their mates working in the same gang. Unfortunately, Despite Chappelle's lawyers hounding the authorities for this information for the last six months, they only managed to get it the day or two after the trial ended, and Chappelle was awaiting formal sentencing. Her lawyers asked the judge to take it into consideration, and although he said he might consider it, ultimately the trial was over, so that information had no legal standing. Chappelle was sentenced to 20 years. Interestingly, Chappelle's sentence was one of the highest ever for trafficking marijuana. Two Indonesian brothers had been caught importing just under the weight of the same substance of what was found in Chappelle's bag, and they were charged under Article 82, the exact same as Chappelle, which does carry a potential maximum of the death penalty. But they were sentenced to just five and six years, respectively. The authorities were, in Chappelle's words, trying to make an example of her, Although, it did seem to tally with the inconsistency Chappelle had witnessed of her fellow inmates' sentences. Some would get eight months for murder, others five years for petty theft. After that, Chappelle changed legal teams to help with her appeal. On appeal, her sentence was first cut by five years, taking it down to fifteen. And then, over the next few years, she continued to live in the tiny cell, with cellmates coming and going. She also continued to be unwell, contracting painful eye and ear infections that left her temporarily deaf in one ear. She was also sharing the cell with 15 people now and had two cellmates who were regular users, often using Chappelle's spoon. Five weeks after that, Chappelle's appeal was rejected and her sentence was reinstated to 20 years and her next judicial review was rejected in 2008. However... In 2013, Chappelle was given the life-changing news that after eight years in prison, she would be released on parole. In February of 2014, at 8.15am, she was released, leaving the prosecutor's office just after 9am. As part of her parole, she had to stay in Bali for the following few years and had to report to the office once a month. In May 2017, Chappelle boarded a plane headed out of Bali and arrived in Australia the following day. Since then, she's created an Instagram account where she posts updates of her life back in Oz and works making resin clocks. She has since appeared on SAS Australia and Dancing with the Stars Australia, and to this day maintains her complete innocence and wrongful conviction for nine years.